1 Peter 2, as we continue on here now in our study, going through this great epistle, as we go through verse by verse and, and look at what God is saying to us through his word. And so we ended last week, and if anybody needs a Bible, just go ahead and hold up your hand, because our ushers will bring you a Bible. So if you need a Bible, keep your hand up. And uh, once you have that Bible, yeah, right down here, Aaron. Thank you. Um, anybody else? Just keep your hand up. Bible's coming. First Peter chapter 2, and we ended last week in verse 10, and we've been seeing these last couple weeks now, this great view of salvation, ultimately, all that God has, has done for us here now, and we've looked at the purpose of salvation. We've seen through um, this section here now of chapter 2, really just looking at, uh, again, the purpose of, of salvation, and we've seen how God has called us into such a, a glorious and, and wonderful work and identity as a people. Who remembers what we looked at last week here regarding what, what we've been called now as people of the Lord? Verse, I'll give you a hint. It's there in verse 9. What are some things? Give me one thing. We've been called as a people now what? As chosen? Okay. A what? Say it again. Okay. Yes, royal priesthood. Oh, I just, it was just a bunch of just mumbling going on there. I couldn't understand anything. It's Pentecostal hour. Okay. Um, so yeah, we've seen here, look at that, verse 9. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. So as we've been looking at the purpose of salvation, we've been seeing that in chapter 2, we've been called to just kind of grow in the Lord, right? Desiring the pure milk of the word of God. We've been called into service for the Lord. We see the purpose of salvation providing stability for us. We're being fitted together, right, in this spiritual house of the Lord. And then the last thing we looked at was that witness that we're to be, right? As God has called us to be a, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, his own special people, well, that's all, again, for a purpose. And what's the purpose of that in verse 9? Yes, you're saying it. Who said that? Say it again, loud. Yeah, that's it. To proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness in his marvelous light. So that means we're called to be a witness, right? And so that's what we've been seeing in this purpose of salvation. But now, as we continue on, we begin to break down a little bit more to see how do we do that? What does that mean to, you know, be a witness of the Lord? How do we proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness in his marvelous light? Well, Peter begins to lay it out for us. And it's not a popular theme it's not a subject that we gravitate to and like to put into practice because it's the subject of submission submission this is where peter's going to be taking us now to the end of chapter two to really look at this is how we begin to really demonstrate a changed life in the world as his chosen people as his special people we're to be walking now in submission so we're going to look at a few things here as we break down the remainder of this chapter we're going to look at first of all our need of, su of submission we're going to see our audience for submission and then we'll see our example in submission look at verse 11 with me here it says this Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. 
So Peter identifies these believers. Again, the people that he's writing to here now, identifies them once more as sojourners and pilgrims. Do you, do you see that there? I, I think that's a great fitting and apt description of the people that he's writing to. He referred to them, again, as, as pilgrims of the dispersion there at the beginning of chapter 1, because these were Christians now that have been living in the world, and they've come to know Christ. It's been great. But now they've begun to undergo persecution. They've begun to undergo trial and, and tribulation. And they've been kind of driven away from their homes and from these places that they're familiar with to being now foreign places. And yet, here's the, the reality. is That's kind of the way it is for all of us as believers. We're called to live this life as sojourners and pilgrims. In other words, we recognize that we're living in a foreign place. This is not our home, essentially. We're awaiting our home, the city that's not made by man's hands, but built by God. We're citizens of heaven. Isn't that a great title? Isn't that a wonderful way to live life, to recognize, I'm a citizen of heaven, this is not my home. Oh, this is where I live, and I see that I have purpose here in this world, because I'm here now to proclaim the praises of him who's called me out of darkness and in his marvelous light, to be a witness in the world. Yes, there's great purpose in that. There's great blessing of it. But here now, Peter says, if you're going to live as a, as a stranger, and that's kind of really what that idea is, a stranger in the world, well, here's what you need to do. You need now to abstain from fleshly lusts. You need to put these things aside where, where these are things that, that wage, against, wage war against our soul. These are things that begin to hold us back from being a witness in the world. You see, here's one thing that these Christians might have been experiencing. They might have been looking at all that's going on in their lives and thinking, what's the point of living for Jesus? Like, if I'm going to have to go through trial, persecution, and difficulty, why would I, why would I live for Jesus? And these are, are things, temptations that no doubt the enemy is going to be throwing at them, Right? Things that are, are warring against their soul, their, their psyche, right? Who they are uh, inside here. It's, it's, it's causing them to be tripped up in a sense, right? So Peter says, abstain from these things. Abstain from the things of the flesh that are going to trip you up again from living this world. Just like he said, remember in, in, um, in verse 13 of chapter 1, where he said, gird up the loins of your minds, right? Be sober, Think properly. And then he also told us to, in beginning of chapter 2, lay aside all malice and, and, and deceit and hypocrisy and, and all the like. Lay aside these things. Don't let these things be a mark of who you are. Because when we're living for those things, well, we just become you know, a product of the world. We just look like the world. But we're called to be sojourners and pilgrims, strangers in this world. So lay aside those things. Abstain from the things that are going to trip you up, hold you back, or affect that witness that you're to have in the world. And notice, these are things that just, they war against the soul, you see? I mean, that's, that's something interesting here, because we oftentimes think, ah, this isn't really going to affect anybody, you know? Uh, this sin that I might get involved in, this temptation, this, this thought, that's not really going to hurt anybody. But the reality is, is that it's going to destroy you. It's, it's, it's causing conflict in your soul. It's, it's warring against your very soul. And, and, and from you being who God has called you to be. 
See, sin, what does the Bible say that the, that the wages, the cost of sin is what? It's death. Yeah. You guys jumped on that one like you've never jumped on any answer that I've asked for before. Everybody's thinking about death. Just death. Yikes, guys. Calm, calm it down a little bit. That's great. Let's save that response for positive answers, all right? That was good, though. Death. <laughs> See, sin's only intent is this, is to destroy. And when we think that we can hold on to sin or we can flirt around with sin and not have any repercussions from it. And sometimes we think that way because we think nobody's going to know. This isn't going to hurt anybody. Here's the reality is it's hurting you and it's destroying your very soul because it's warring against you. This is not what God has intended for you. It's not what God has for you. He's got blessing for you. But sin is going to rob you of that. These fleshly lusts are going to rob you of that. And this is just dealing with even temptations and these things that you begin to ponder and, and, and begin to just kind of flirt with again. That These things are going to hurt you and affect you. We can't play around with sin, you see. So Peter says, abstain from these things that are going to ultimately affect you. But not only does it war against your own soul... It also, like I said, leaves a mixed message that robs you of a testimony in the world that we've been seeing that we're called to do. Peter says, look at this here. He says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Now that term for Gentiles, it's kind of like being used as a general term for unbelievers. Let me write that in here, unbelievers. It's kind of a general term just for the world that's in opposition to God, right? So Peter says, abstain from the things that are going to trip you up, that's going to rob you of a testimony in the world, and have your conduct honorable now, honorable among the Gentiles, in the world and to the world. See, believers, I mean, in this day, they were swimming in this current that was really going against the current of the world, They're swimming kind of upstream in a sense in the current of the world here because the world is saying, this is what we want to do. This is how we want to live. And Christians were doing something very radically different. It's very much like what we're experiencing today, ultimately. And so because we're standing out, right, the world is going to take note when you're going upstream against the current. They're going to see, man, these are strange people, right? We are, we're to be strangers in the world. But the world is going to take note of that and look at that. And what are they going to want to do? They're going to want to silence that. They're going to want to say, I don't like this. I don't, I don't want that kind of hanging over me. They're making me feel bad, right? So what are they going to do? They're going to want to try to discredit and dispel that. They're going to do this. They're going to speak evil against you. Speak against you as evildoers. Now notice this here. Peter doesn't say, listen, I want you guys to live this way. And, and if the world begins to kind of come again. He doesn't say if, right? What does he say? He says when. So if is not a likely scenario. Peter's realizing when you begin to live your life as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, you can expect the world to come against you and to even begin to revile you and try to speak evil against you to discredit your witness. I mean, that's what the world loves to do today, right? They love to.
really live that way. And they try to discredit the witness. Now, remember in this day, what Peter's up against, uh, he's got Nero, the, the emperor, right, of Rome, who's beginning to badmouth the Christians and kind of use the Christians as a kind of screen for his own sin. As he's beginning to do things, you know, uh, many believe that Nero was responsible for the great fire that broke out in Rome so that he could continue on to put his, uh, you know, his print upon Rome by his new buildings and stuff. So he set fire to Rome, but he begins to blame the Christians because people started to go, is this Nero's work? No, no, it's not. I mean, it's the Christians. Those Christians are a bunch of weirdos, man. We can't trust them. And so they begin to get kind of blacklisted and, and, and persecuted so people were definitely, in Peter's day, speaking evil against believers. And Jesus said that this is exactly what we can expect, right? Look at what Jesus says in, in John 15, verse 18 and 19. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world loves its own. Yet because you are not of the world, what does Peter say? You're what? Strangers and pilgrims. You're not of the world. So because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So just the very fact that we're living as children of God, sojourners and pilgrims, strangers in this world, we're not of the world, here's the response by the world. We hate those guys. We don't like them. Why don't they like you? Because they begin to see their own sin and shortcoming when we begin to live honorable lives among the Gentiles, having your conduct honorable when we begin to live honorable lives it leaves a witness and the world is going to want to dispel that witness but peter says listen this is no reason to return evil for evil live in a way where if they accuse you and not if when they accuse you or speak evil against you well then your conduct here your conduct is going to completely contradict what they're trying to say against you do you see the importance now of living a life that's honorable so that when they try to say, well, they do this or they do that, you can say, well, look at my life. Show me how I'm doing that because I'm living an honorable life to where when we do so, it completely contradicts what they're trying to say about us, you see. Jesus gave a similar directive in Matthew chapter 15 or chapter 5 or 16. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, right? So let them see your good works. Let your light so shine. And then they're going to glorify your Father in heaven. The way that we live our lives can have such a direct result of how others are going to respond to the gospel. Look at that here. I think this is so important because Peter says that by your good works again, your good works, right? Doing good. And we're going to see this repeated through our text here. Doing good. Doing good. We don't do good to be saved. We do good because we are saved. Because the only one that did good showed his grace and love and saved us so that we can now serve him, love him, and do good. But Peter's saying here, do good that when they observe it, they will what? They will glorify God in the day of visitation. That's the idea of when God begins to reach out to them with, with, the, with the grace and love of God, when he begins to, to draw them in by his spirit so that when they see what you're doing and what you have, they're going to respond. 
And they're going to glorify God. They're going to say, yeah, I need this for myself. I want that. They have two options. They're going to see your witness and they're going to say, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. I want to continue on my sin. I'm going to discredit them. Or they're going to go, man, I need that. I want that peace. I want that joy that that person has. And they're going to respond to God. They're going to glorify God in the day of visitation when he reaches down with that salvation for them. When he begins to open their heart and their eyes to what he has by his grace for them. So this is what we're called to do. So we live honorable lives. Well, how do we live honorable lives in this world? What's the way that we do that? Well, that's kind of the theme of our message here. We're going to see, look at what we, we see as we read on in verse 13 here now. Let me see if I can bring it up here. Verse 13 says this. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. So here's what we're called to do. We've seen our need of submission. Now we see our audience for submission. And we're called to submit to all those that are in authority. Listen, it'd be very easy, wouldn't it, just to sit here and say, well, listen, I'm, I'm a citizen of heaven. And I answer to a higher authority. So I don't need to listen to what you're telling me to do. Adrian Dix, you're telling us not to assemble. Well, no way, man. We listen to a higher authority. Now, there's truth in that. Yes, we'll get to that in a little bit here. But it's very easy for us just to kind of say, I don't need to listen to the the governing bodies of this land. We're citizens of heaven. We're children of God. We listen to him. But listen, the word of God instructs us to submit to those who are in authority. Now, what the idea here is, when, when Peter says submit, and he says submit to every ordinance of man, what he's actually referring to is every human institution. All right? So think about what kind of human institutions we have. What are some human institutions that we have? Pardon me? Government, yeah. What's another one? Police force. force. That's good, yeah. What else? Pardon me? Fire department, yeah. ICBC, oh, no. No, no, sorry. Okay, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. We won't do that. That's not right. That's not right. Okay. Um... So, these are anything else? Human institution? Pardon me? Courts? Constitution? So let's, like, come on. Stop it already. Okay. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And, and so, any, any place that we really see this kind of structure of, of authority and, and this, you know, um, human governing bodies at work, even like, you know, education, schools and teachers, professors, things like that, right? So, these are human institutions that were to be submitting to or to come in line with those things right this is what what peter's getting at here now some might say oh this is just peter's conviction this is something that peter had to deal with and kind of because he was always such a guy that was you know pulling out the sword ready to chop off somebody's ear. this is what peter's got it but this isn't just peter's word for us look what paul would even add for us here he says in romans 13 this is paul writing now romans 13 verse 1 to 5 Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. How many people have a soul here today? All right. Just a quarter of you. All right. So that's fine. The rest of you, I have no idea what's going on with you. But let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Everybody. 
right? Every one of us. For there, and check this out, for there's no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Do you, do you catch that? That is super important, guys. They are appointed by God. That's huge. This means that every authority structure we have has been placed there by God, who is the ultimate authority. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to... There's that word, good works again. We're going to see a lot about that. They're not a terror to good works. If you are doing good, you don't have to worry about those in, in places of authority. But they're a terror to... And you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. So that's key right there. Paul lays it out very clearly for us. And it's what Peter is echoing in his epistle here. That all these governing bodies are ones that we need to submit to. All right, every human institution, they're placed there by God. So notice that this is what Peter ties in with here. We do so, why? It's for the Lord's sake. Okay, that's important. We do so for the Lord's sake. Every time that we are submitting, we're not saying I'm yielding just to this person or this authority. I'm yielding to God because that governing person is there by God, appointed by God as Paul would say in Romans 13. So that's, that's important to look at. Submission isn't always just something that we do for our benefit, as we sometimes can make that what it's all about. Well, I'll submit to this because this is going to help my cause. This will help me. Or I'm going to really be blessed out of this, so I'm just going to submit. Sometimes we do so very much with a self-serving interest. But here's the reality, guys, is that submission isn't always going to mean that everything's going to be hunky-dory. That we're going to just experience just all blessings and joys. Submission sometimes means that when we submit, that's going to land us in, in a precarious situation, right? But we do these things, why? For the Lord's sake. Because this is an opportunity that we have now to say, I'm going to do this unto you, Lord, and for your glory. I'm going to allow you to use whatever's going to happen, whatever outcome might come of this situation, me submitting, I'm going to trust that you're going to use it for your glory. So Lord, I do it for your sake. I do it because I'm ultimately now submitting to you who's placed these people in those places of authority. So I submit to you, God, I do it for your sake. That's how we need to look at these things. We're servants of God, so we live these lives in a way where we're ready to submit for his sake. And when we do, it, it points people again to God and our higher purpose in living. Doesn't it do that? People wonder, why would you submit to that? Well, because I don't fear what they can do. I fear what God can do. And I'm submitting to him ultimately. It points people to God and our higher purpose in living. Now, when I know that my submission is serving a good purpose then I'm going to find submission a lot easier to do, right? It's kind of like what we see, you know, when Paul writes to wives, okay? Um, and, and we're going to get into this next week in 1 Peter 3. It's going to be good. But listen to what Paul says. Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. As 
to the Lord. Do you, do you catch that? Paul's not saying just submit to your husbands regardless. No, you do that as under the Lord. And, and I think it becomes a much more easier thing to do when we recognize I'm not just doing this for this man. I'm, I'm submitting to the Lord and for the Lord. Right? That's the way. And, and in fact, Paul would go on to say in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So in all areas of our lives, whatever we're doing, I think when we put this before us, that whatever we do, we do it as unto the Lord and not to men. It makes that work that we do, that area of service, that area of submission, that much more enjoyable when we recognize the higher purpose in it, the higher calling in it, and that is that we're doing it unto the Lord, for the Lord, for his glory. That this is not just something that I'm doing for this person or for that husband or that wife. No, we're doing it as unto the Lord, to his glory, to his praise, to honor him above all. So in the same way, when we realize we're not just submitting to government, but to the Lord, man, it it makes it that much more enjoyable to do so. Now, going back to our our verse here, um, yeah, submitting now, right, to every human, to every human institution, and we do it for the Lord's sake. Now, what would you say, shout out some answers here, what would you say are are some, uh, is an opposite of submission what would you say is an is the opposite of submission pardon me rebellion that's a good one okay daniel knows that real no i'm just teasing rebellion what else defiance that's a good word too defiance oh yeah okay pardon me blockades man we're we're just getting really into current events here aren't we okay blockades and that's true right blockades we'll write that in there blockades what else what's another opposite of submission disobedience that's really good too yeah not it's not good no but that's a good answer because that's what the opposite of submission is anything else (laughs) that's true unsubmission unsubmission that's good or you could just say what's not submitting that's true too um, so these are all good. Pardon me? Insubordination. Okay. Let, it's just, yeah. That. Insubordination. I'm done with that. Okay. So those are great answers, guys. Now, here's the thing, right? Um, submission was really something that was a real Christian kind of perspective it was something that i think christianity really began to uh, it was it was very much a christian concept especially in this day that peter's writing where submission was like oh no, no no wait a second that just shows your weakness man no we're all about climbing that that's not our, our human role in a sense so submission really became something that was a, a christian concepts and that they began to introduce in a very practical way in how the submission was to be lived out but but what do we see now in the world when we've kind of removed god out of the picture when you look at what you see going on in the news and we've made a case over our recent history of really saying we don't want god to be a part of our lives to be a part of our schools to be a part of our our courts and anything like that what do we see happening Uh, right there don't we 
Aren't these the kinds of things that we see happening in society? When you turn on the news, aren't these the things that kind of really stand out now that we're seeing all these things happening? And yet that's not the way it should be for the life of the Christian. We're to be walking in submission. Walking in submission to those that are around us. Now, whether the, the governing bodies, you know, and think about this here. When Peter says, whether you submit to the king as supreme, who's Peter referencing here? Caesar who? Caesar Nero. Nero, who's one of the most ruthless guys that the church had ever faced, who was going out of his way to persecute Christians in the most heinous of ways. He became just a madman. And, and, and yet Peter says, if, if there's anybody that you could say, let's make an exception to the rule about submission. Submit to those really that maybe are good people. No, no Peter doesn't do that. He says, submit even if it's to the king as supreme, as the one that's kind of ruling overall, who's Emperor Nero and who's making life a, a living hell for Christians. But yet Peter says, submit to them. That's huge. Isn't that crazy? And you think about the many people that you might look at in governing places going, oh, that guy's a moron, right? How many times have we said, no, I mean, don't, don't raise, let's leave that. But how many times have we said that to those that have been voted into places of, of leadership and governing bodies? And we just go, that person's a moron. I'm not gonna, but Peter would say, submit to them. If he can say, submit to Nero, then we can certainly say, <clears throat> we can submit to those people that we have over us in our country and in our land. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, yeah, it is, isn't it? But, but that's what Peter is pointing us towards. And then, and then also to those that are sent by him. So this would be all those that he's sending out in, in, in any kind of a political or oversight role. Again, police, right? In our day, it'd be police. And, and yet, what do we see happening more and more? People just having a disrespect, uh, a, a lack of submission to those people that are in authority. Feeling like, I'm not going to answer to you. I'm not going to listen to you. And yet, Peter says, all those that are sent by the government, listen and, and submit to them here. Now, here's the thing. Peter says, these positions and platforms of authority are given by God and they're given for our good ultimately. See, they're given for the punishment of evildoers, right? So what Peter's saying is they're meant to prevent evil, right? And that's what they do by and large. We're thankful for government that sets laws and that for the most part holds people accountable to those laws and to when they break those laws. So they're meant to prevent evil, but they're also to the praise of those who do good. So they prevent evil, but they also praise that which is good, right? So they, they lift up, they elevate, they want to see. See, we're not very far off from what the world counts as good to what Christians count as good. I think these things are very much on, on you know, a, a parallel course here. But we as Christians say, this is what's good, this is what's helpful, this is what's, the world is going to say the same thing. So when we as Christians are doing it, for the most part, they're going to be coming alongside that as well. And so it's good that we Christians are, are doing good. 
That's what we're seeing here, that we're submitting. We should be excelling in these things. It's what we've been created for. And notice this next here. Look at what verse 15 tells us. Verse 15 tells us, for this is the will of God. How important that is. Let me read on. That by doing good, there it is again, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So here's the thing. This is the very will of God for us to be doing that. Don't you love any time that you come across this phrase in the word of God? Because I think people struggle oftentimes over what's the will of God? And we try to really make this a narrow, like, I want to know what that direct will of God is in, in just my course or the course for my life. Like, where I'm supposed to be working, where I'm supposed to be living, who I'm supposed to marry. We want just real direct clarity oftentimes in the will of God. But yet, the will of God is very general a lot of times, right? He, he gives us very practical, simple things that says, listen, first of all, I want you just to do good, Right? When you're doing good, it's going to take care of a lot of those other things that are going to fall into place in your life that God's going to begin to lead very clearly just by you doing good. Elsewhere in the Bible says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, being set apart for God. Set apart to, again, do good. So God's will is very simple oftentimes that we like to complicate it. But here's what we're seeing as the will of God too. Submit and to do good. It's very clear. It's how others know that there's something different about you. It's the proof of our Christian faith and the greatest witness that we can leave by by doing good. Because it's not always what you say, but it's what you do that's going to get people's attention. Wouldn't you agree? Don't you love it when people back up what they say? That what they're doing corresponds with what they're saying? That's what gets your attention. And for us as Christians, we are very good at saying the right things, but we want to be doing the right things, doing good. Again, not to make us more right with God, not to save us or secure our spot in heaven. Doing good doesn't do that. But because of God's grace, who died for us and has saved us by his grace, we now want to respond by doing good because he's already done all the good that we need to be saved. So now we want to respond by doing good and living a life that's a stranger in this world, that's standing out in this world, that's leaving a witness and a testimony in this world. And we do that by how we live. So when we live a life of doing good as a witness, guess what else it does? It, it, it silences the ignorance of foolish men, right? See, there's a lot of people that will have a, a tainted or twisted view of what a Christian is. I mean, oh my goodness, right? If you were to pull people on the street and ask them what you think of a Christian, I mean, you'll get some very varied responses, but a lot of them would be probably very negative, you know? You'll, you'll get responses like, well, they're hateful, right? Uh, oh, they... Um, hypocrites, thank you. Hypocrites. All, all like you'll, you'll have very negative answers coming from people that are in the world. But guess what, guys? They're, they're ignorant responses. And I don't say that in a mean, wrong way, but they don't understand, right? 
Or they might get a weird, you know, view of somebody that's not truly representing Christ. And that's what they, they kind of hinge on to as this is what a Christian is. They look at Christians as being the ones that, you know, hate homosexuals, that are, are blowing up abortion clinics, or they don't pay their taxes, right? And they might have the odd case where somebody claims to be a Christian doing these things, and now they go, this is what Christians are. And you have people that have that view. But when we, as Peter says, when we begin to do good, and we begin to live a life not like that, but that is in line with what, you know, submitting to government, doing good, it's going to silence the ignorance that they have of what a Christian looks like. That's what we're to be doing. Actively living this life that, that elevates Christ and, and, and honors other people. The only thing that we should be doing that would cause others, that would cause the world... Standing for Jesus. That's the only thing that we can ever have that should be the reason why the world comes against us. Don't let it be because you're being a jerk, you know, or you're not responding in love, or you're acting this way. Don't let it be because of those things. Let it be simply because you live for Jesus. And that's, as we saw in John 15, that's reason enough for the world to hate you. Jesus said, that's what'll happen. They hated me, they'll hate you. But let it be because you stand for me, not because you're being an idiot in the world, right? That's what, what Peter's saying here. Now, this is really interesting here. Because as we're talking about submitting, then look at what Peter says in verse 16. As free. Oh, that's cool. Here's the deal. Our submission is not something that we do that brings us into more bondage right or into a place of just burden that's not the case at all we're to submit as free people our submission doesn't bring us into bondage rather submission brings us into the life of freedom and blessing that god has for us ultimately that's why jesus said to die to self because it's when you die to self that you will really start living because you're no longer living for yourself. What happens when we're living for self is that we just kind of bring ourselves into bondage more so by the baggage we're carrying, by the things that we're wanting to see happen for self. And when they don't happen, then we get miserable and cranky. That's no fun. But when we die to self, when we walk in submission, that's when we're able to be most free. And we're already free. Our position is already that of freedom in and through Christ. He's made us free. But he's not made us free to just go ahead and do what we want. Notice what Peter says. Yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice. In other words, yes, we're free, but we don't use our freedom to be self-serving. Or to do what you want. Or as a license to say, well, I'm just going to live this way now. No, we're set free, but we're set free so that we can live for God. It's when we live for God to his glory that we're going to experience the blessedness of freedom. Submission doesn't get in the way of that. Submission doesn't take away from that. Submission means that we're all the more living out this life of freedom than he has. It's a great kind of oxymoron that we have in scripture. 
See, we do all these things as bond servants of God. What was a bond servant? A bond servant was a person that was now set free by their master or given, you know, the opportunity to be free, but they said, you know what? I love working with my master. He's a good person. Uh, I love being here. He's taking care of me. I want to continue to serve. I'm going to commit my life to carrying out service to him. That's what a bond servant was. And they would go out and, and, and mark his ear. Uh, they'd put a, an all through it and, and put a hole in there to, to mark him as a bond servant now. That he was living for this master by choice. You see, that's what we're called to do. We're to, by choice, come alongside and say, I'm living for the Lord. He's a good master. Everybody's going to be mastered by something. The key is finding what is a good master. And God is that good master for us. He's a good God who loves us and cares for us, as, as we'll see as we move along here. So we come along as bondservants, submitting to him in all things. He's called us to submit to authorities, but as we do, it's as though we're submitting to him as bond servants. Now, I'm sure many are having the question, well, what if these governing bodies call me or require me to do something that is against my beliefs or something that I don't agree with? Well, here's the rule for us, okay? We abide by the law as long as it does not force us into contradiction of God's law. That's what we see happening in the early church. Right? Think about what these apostles were going through. And they were, they were being called by governing bodies to do things that, that they, was outside their calling as servants of God. But they said, listen, we ought to obey God rather than men. So as long as it's not causing you to, to go in opposition to God's word, then you obey that law. Right? One pastor said this, we're called to be in subjection to the authorities um, or to the governmental authorities, they might infringe on our civil rights. They might push their agenda. They might kick God out of the schools and courtrooms. But until they try and force you to sin personally, you're called to submit to them. So that's a great rule to live by right there. And, and this way of living is not just to be done to people of positions in positions of authority. Peter says, and let's see if I have it up here. Let me bring it back here. Peter says this. I like this. What does he say? Honor all people. Wow. It's not just to be done to those in authority. Honor all people. This is the approach that we're to take with everybody. We're to hold all people in high esteem because they're made in the image of God. Jesus died for each of them. Oh, it's true that we may not be able to honor all that they do, but we're to honor them as loved of God, who God desires to see come to salvation. So we honor them. We, we hold them in high esteem. And then we also do what? We love the brotherhood. This is speaking of the church family, fellow believers now. Now, here's the crazy thing. Sometimes we can find it harder to honor or love one another in our midst than we can in the world. But how are we going to honor others in the world if we can't just come alongside and love one another here in the church? as brothers and sisters in the Lord. See, isn't that the thing that the world oftentimes sees in the church? Fighting, gossiping, people being hurt in the church. And they go, why would I want that? He's a bad witness. So Peter says, don't just honor those in the church. No, you're to love those together that are, are brothers and sisters in the Lord. 
Love one another unconditionally, unselfishly. Love one another. That's what we're called to do. And then also, we're to fear God. All right? We're going to have a right reverence of God, in other words. That's the, mo- that's the motivation we need to our submission, isn't it? Because God's word is to be obeyed, and we should fear the outcome when we choose to disobey his word. We should have a fear of God that says, I don't want to hurt God. I don't want to go against God. I don't want to disobey him. Not just fear the outcome, but fear of, of hurting God. And one person said it this way. I think this is so good. They said, to appropriately fear God is one of the greatest needs of the contemporary church today. We have made him all too familiar. We have tendered or tended to create him in our own image as the man upstairs, the good guy or the good Lord. We need to see the Lord high and lifted up in all of his glory and might and then to bow in awe in his presence to revere and worship him. That's the view we're to have of God, to recognize that there is no higher authority than God. He's it. And I want to have a right view of God, a right reverence, a right awe of God. That's what it means to fear God. And then we're to honor the king. I like that. It doesn't say fear the king. It just says honor the king, right? And again, who's Peter's reference here? It's Nero. That would, be an, that would have been a hard thing to honor the king. But they were to honor the king by coming in line in submission to the king. They may not like him, and that's fine, but honor him in in submission. And we're told in the Bible to pray for those in these positions. Are we doing that? Do we pray for those in these governmental authorities? Oh, I know I, I, I fail to do that oftentimes, but we need to be praying for these people, even the ones you don't like or agree with. Pray for them, right? Yeah, especially. It's not just praying in prayer of, God, would you take them out? <laughs> that's what we want to pray oftentimes, isn't it? It's not just that. It's, Lord, how would you save these people? And would you use them to carry out your will, whether they realize it or not? That's how we need to be praying for these people. Now, we go on to look at other ways this mission plays out. Man, we're going to move through this last little part. Oh, we got to get through this here. Here's what we see in verse 18. Other ways that this mission plays out. Verse 18, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh, for this is commendable. It because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. So Peter's referencing servants and masters, slaves. And this is a common thing in, in this day. William Barclay noted that there were upwards of 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. That's, think about it. That's crazy, isn't it? So this dynamic was very much at work. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, Christianity. They're the ones that you know, brought slavery into the world. and everything. Man, and, and they will use that as kind of a, an excuse against Christianity. But that's not the case here, everybody. Slavery was just something that was already common in the world. It's Christianity that came in and began to define the proper realms of this and, and place this in a new dynamic and in a new relationship in a sense. Because now suddenly as, as slaves were getting saved and masters were getting saved, suddenly now slaves and masters are, are functioning together in the church as, as one group, right? No longer with these social structures. There, there's no longer, you know, slave nor, nor free. We're all, we're all one in Christ, right? And so now suddenly there was a new dynamic at work that, the, that Christianity began to 
really um, communicate and define in a proper way, in a, in a helpful way. And so Peter says, listen, just because now as a servant and, and a master that might both be saved, who are now brothers or sisters in the Lord, who are functioning as one, is no reason for that servant to go, listen, what, you want me to get you a drink? How about you get me a drink now, bud? We're brothers now in the Lord, and so why don't you serve me for a change, right? Now, that wasn't an excuse for the servant to start acting that way. Peter says, listen, serve your masters. Be submissive to your masters. Oh, you're one in the Lord, but you still have a role that you're carrying out here. And people were brought into slavery for many reasons. Um, oftentimes, it was, you know, settling debts that they owed and things like that. And so they were brought under that in the master. And so these are things that they were called to carry out. But now as we carry this over to today, this would correspond to roles of employees and employers. All right. A little bit more relevant now for us. And so Peter says this here. Be submissive to your masters or to your employers. Oh boy, right? Oh man, with all fear to do it. And notice this, what does Peter say? Not only to the good and the gentle, but you're to submit even to the harsh ones. Oh man, how many people have ever had a harsh boss before? All right, I'm just looking at our staff right now. I want to make sure there's no, all right. Better not put your hand up or else I'm taking away your lunch hours this week here. <laughs> um, so we're to do this even, even to those harsh ones, right? Now, Peter says, listen, you might go through a time where you have to endure grief, right? Where you endure grief, maybe even suffering, right? But you're to take this patiently and to do so because it's commendable, to the Lord, all right? We're gonna see that down here. This is commendable to the Lord. Now, it's not commendable when you're the one that's kind of in the wrong. Let's say you're showing up, you know, two hours late for work. You're taking an extra hour for lunch. You're messing up on all the projects. Suddenly, your boss is kind of riding your back. And you're saying, oh, my boss is so harsh, so mean. I don't really want to submit to him. Listen, and, and, and you're being treated unfairly. It's not your boss's problem. That's you. You're the one that's causing the problems. That's not commendable when you're going through trials because of your own fault. That's what Peter's saying. What credit is it if when you're beaten for your faults, right? You take it patiently. But when you do good and you suffer, Peter's saying, listen, these are going to be things that you can expect in the world. That you're going to be under submission to somebody and you're going to be treated unfairly. But when you take it patiently, it's commendable because you're doing it, who? To who? As under the Lord, as we've seen. And the Lord sees. And the, the, the Lord honors that. And he's going to use that. This word commendable in the, in the Greek is the word, and I like this, charis. Anybody know what charis means in the Greek? Grace. Grace. This is that work of grace, or it's a mark of grace in your lives when we live that way. It's what we've been called to do. So we've seen here our need of submission. We've seen our audience to submission now. It's really everybody, right? All those around us. We're to be submitting to. I mean, Peter, sorry, Paul says that in Ephesians 5, submit one to another. Just before he says, why submit to your husbands, it's backed up in the context of submitting to one another. And then... We see now our example in submission. Look at verse uh, 21 here. 
For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. So we might be asking ourselves, why do I need to be a doormat? Why do I need to live this life of submission and be treated you know, harshly and unfairly? Why must I do that? Because Jesus endured that for us. Because Jesus set the example for us. And notice what Jesus says in John 13, verse 15 and 17. For I've given you an, an example when he came and washed the disciples' feet. He says, I've given you an example that you should do as I've done to you. Most assured that I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus sets example, who came and submitted himself to the governing authorities. And, and when they came against him and they, they falsely accused him, he didn't return that with any kind of revile in return. Nor is there any deceit found in his mouth or, or any kind of accusation against him. He, he suffered. And he did that for you and for me. That's amazing that, that Jesus, this wasn't just something that Jesus had to do as some test, you know, his, his rite of passage to see if, if he would be fitting. As a, this wasn't something that Jesus had to do. This is something that he did because we needed it done. And he gave himself submissively and he becomes that example for us now to serve in that same way for us here. He goes on to say, verse 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed for you were like sheep going astray but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, Jesus took all of my sin. He took all of your sin. And, and he took that upon himself as he died upon the tree, as Peter refers to, which is speaking of the cross. See, it's a, a great picture. What, what Deuteronomy tells us that all who are hanged upon a tree are accursed of God. Jesus took the curse of our sin upon himself so we could be spared from it. And so Peter's saying that if Jesus died for our sins, then we certainly can die to our sins. That's what he says here, that, having, that we having died to sins. Now we've done that because Jesus died for our sins. If he died for our sins, we can surely, surely die to our sins. Jesus took all of our punishment. He died so that we might live for righteousness. This is so good. This is that great kind of, again, exchange that takes place. We, we died and Jesus died for us so that we might live. You see, this is the work of the gospel. This great exchange where Jesus took all of our sin and he took it upon himself. He paid the penalty for that sin and he exchanged it now for his righteousness. He said, give me your worst and I'm going to give you my best. That's incredible. That's the gospel right there. We don't earn our way in heaven. We don't, we don't work for our submission. We talked a lot about doing good. These are things that we don't do to be right with God. It's, it's that we do these things because Jesus has made us right with God through his sacrifice. If we put our faith in him. If we believe in him as the son of God who died in our place 
to forgive us of our sin. He died and we died to our sin that we might now live for righteousness because we've been healed by his stripes. He took every, every blow, every beating so we could be healed. And that's, I mean, a lot of people use this as a, as a, a, a you know, proof text for physical healing. I believe there's part of that in there, but more so it's our spiritual healing. We're made new. And because of the fact that we're made new, one day we're going to receive a new glorified body by which we will be healed physically forever. Never to experience pain again. So Jesus has done that work for us, securing that to us. Now, we didn't deserve any of that. No, on the contrary, we were like sheep going astray. That's what sheep like to do sometimes. They go astray. We didn't deserve that. Remember, we were in darkness to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. But now, as we believe in Jesus, we've returned to the shepherd, the one that's overseeing our very souls. That's big. He's our good shepherd who takes care of us, who oversees us. And so that means that when we bring ourselves into submission, we might think and go, oh, well, if I do that, then what's going to happen to me? Is that going to put me in a, in a precarious situation or position? Is this going to be to my detriment? Well, whatever. Because we have an overseer of our souls who's taking care of us. And that it's, it's in him that I put my trust and my faith. I simply need to just walk in obedience to his word and he takes care of it all. He's a good shepherd who loves and cares for us. Warren Wearsby says this, the unsaved world is watching us, but the shepherd in heaven is also watching over us. So we have nothing to fear. We can submit to him and know that he will work everything together for our good and his glory. Amen? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and I know it's late, but let's, let's just close with a, a, a song as we just take some time to meditate on these things, to respond to the Lord, and to ask him to continue to work in our lives. And here's some things that we can be asking ourselves as we look to apply this word. What kind of witness, first of all, are you leaving before the world? Have you been leaving a witness before the world? Secondly, how do you respond to situations where you're asked to submit? How does the word that we've seen today direct you? Let's take that into account. Let's pray these things into place. And then thirdly, how does the example of Jesus help and motivate you to live as a witness in submission? The world is watching. What will your testimony say? So let's stand and let's just think about these things and take this before the Lord and ask Him to do that work in our lives. So God, we come and we submit ourselves to you, God. And we ask that you would continue to plant this word in our hearts and reveal these truths and reveal these areas that maybe we've been falling short in. Lord, help us to maybe rethink the things that we're doing, the ways that we're living, to say, God, I want to live in a way that's honorable, that's leaving a witness in the world, that's causing others to see you in and through my life. So Lord, help us in that. We ask in your name. Amen.